lot uh, has uh, occurred this weekend when it comes to news. Think uh, the uh, port deal. We have uh, conversations about the drought. Uh, we have a new poll out when it comes to BC politics. And of course, looking forward to next week, a potential decision when it comes to the Surrey policing issue. Well, I assume a final decision, although I'm not sure. Joining me now to talk about all these issues is Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Uh, good afternoon, Keith. Great to be here, Jazz. Yeah, so let's start with uh, news that occurred this week, uh, specifically the 13-day uh, port strike came to an end. Now, it's a tentative agreement, so it has to be ratified. Uh, but essentially, it uh, looks like uh, the 7,400 workers will be uh, back to work, although there's, uh, you know, well over 60,000 containers, I think, that are waiting to be unloaded. Lots to talk about there. Uh, first and foremost, um, w- were we very close to having these workers legislated back? Oh, I think we're very close. In fact, if they hadn't accepted the mediators recommended in terms of settlement, I think the government would have no force but to recall Parliament, which they really did not want to do for a number of reasons. But... Um, Thankfully, both sides actually like what they saw from the media, or at least enough to recommend ratification to their members. We don't have the details. All we know is it's a four-year deal. I suspect it's going to contain a fairly good wage increase. Uh, longshore workers in the United States, Western United States, got 32% over six years, a very long contract. And the employer was looking for certainty here in terms of length, and they got it with a four-year deal. And I think just, again, Instinct tells me the trade-off here was uh, give the employer a longer deal and give the employees a, a good uh, pay hike. And then, of course, there's the issues of automation and jurisdiction of when it comes to performing maintenance, which was a key issue in this dispute. And again, I, I assume there was enough there for both sides to, to like on those issues to say yes to it. Uh, a deal is a deal, and I hope it works out for both sides. Uh, but the broader question about automation, I, I don't think the Longshoremen's Union, they may be, de- be able to delay some of it, but it is inevitable, is it not? I mean, you can't fight technology. Well, particularly with new facilities. So the Roberts Bank ex- expansion, I think it's inevitable you're going to see uh, a highly automated system there. Some of the older facilities, parts of the Port of Vancouver, maybe a slower pace with automation. Uh, the union is worried there could be a faster pace, which would basically be displacing jobs. But I think it's a, you know, technological change comes with some pain sometimes. I mean, I was in the newspaper industry. We had a lot there, and a lot of people's uh, livelihoods were adversely affected as technology changed. And it seems to be inevitable in a lot of industries. I don't think uh, the ports are going to be immune from that type of thing going forward. No, as I've said, uh, you don't see much sympathy out there for bank tellers as we do our internet banking or travel agents uh, when we book our own hotels and and flights and everything else, and it's an ongoing issue, and uh, one that uh, I'm sure uh, it is one of the key issues when it comes to uh, even this actor strike. Less so with automation, but more so, so with artificial intelligence. But it's mm-hmm. all the broader issue of technology. Well, let's touch on the other issue. Bowen Ma was uh, uh, speaking yesterday. She's our emergency management minister. Uh, she talked broadly that uh, you know a significant amount of water basins in BC are either at level four or at level five. We're going to have uh, Ian Payton from uh, the BC United uh, Party. He's the, he's the agriculture critic joining us at 4.30, talking about the impact on crops and on animals um, in regards to this drought. Uh, can we expect um, you know some sort of measures brought in province-wide, uh, even more so than, than already have in regards to this drought? 
Oh, I think so. Uh, Ian's calling for certain measures uh, when it comes to cattle. I think we're now headed to a, a really bad month or so. The briefing from Bo and Ma yesterday was quite alarming. We've got, as you mentioned, two-thirds of our water basins are now very high levels. So one to, we have a one-to-five system, five being the worst, uh, four are at level five, 18 at level four, as you say. This is an unprecedented situation. And just as we saw in the unprecedented pandemic, we saw things occur that we never uh, had envisioned before, didn't think possible before. So I think you're, we are going to see some, some. I don't know what they are, but I do think you're going to see some some measures we've not seen before when it comes to dealing not only with drought, but wildfires, the combination of the two, uh, the weather change, the climate change is real, and that calls for measures that were uh, really not on the table before, and I think we're going to see that unfold over the summer. Yeah, Malcolm Brody was on the show uh, at 3 o'clock, and he's already talking about, he was talking about water metering, which Richmond uh, is water metering, many other municipalities are on in Metro Vancouver, but uh, there's a lot of uh, suburbs that aren't. Uh, and uh, he says, you know, they were able to find leaks in, in locations which they didn't, weren't aware of. Uh, it, it allows for better usage of water and also allows the consumer to realize, you know, here's the impacts of my consumption patterns and I perhaps may need to alter them. Uh, and so he's still pushing for broader water metering. When you, when you look at even climate change, I mean, we've had uh, conversations on this show about, you know, should landlords be responsible for providing cooling systems, uh, just as they are responsible for heating when they uh, rent out their uh, uh, properties. This is a, it's amazing to me, even in the last year, maybe 18 months, how much our conversation uh, in regards to climate change, in regards to droughts, it is, it's been a complete 180 degree turn in my mind in regards to that conversation. Yeah, I mean, it colors everything. I mean, two years ago, who would have ever thought the BC government was going to hand out 8,000 air conditioners? Um, you know, this is this is the type of thing now that was never imagined before because, you know, we never had a heat dome uh, before. These atmospheric rivers, I mean, some of these new terms we never really dealt with before. It's now, you know, even the, the saying the new reality is kind of almost trite these days because the reality is changing all the time. Um, we didn't have this drought level uh, when we had the heat dome. Now we're having the, the drought levels that we haven't seen before. So this is, you know, the new normal. Again, sounds kind of hackneyed, but it's going to be used increasingly in all sorts of situations. And, you know, in B.C., we, we take, I think, our water for granted because historically we, we, many of us live so close to fr- abundant of supply of fresh water. But those days are coming to an end as our drought condition uh, sustains itself and worsens. And you look at what's going, down, going on in California the last few years where they went from severe drought to severe flooding. Uh, the the Sort of the pendulum swinging between extreme weather is seems to be a regular thing now. So as I say, no one envisioned the government paying for so many air conditioners a while ago, but that is part of the new thing. And and you know, requiring landlords to be more responsible for cooling areas that's probably going to be a new thing going forward as well. And there's other measures again that haven't been thought of. I think increasingly we're going to be have to look at other jurisdictions that have de- been dealing with extreme weather more than we have. You look at down in the southwest, so Arizona and California, when it comes to heat, we may have to be examining what they're doing uh, to, when it comes to dealing with severe drought. As the Colorado River down there continues to drop uh, and the reservoirs drop, uh, mm-hmm. the supply of water is becoming a crisis in southwest um, the United States, and we're not immune from that type of thing. And no. I think governments are sort of mindful of that. No, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about uh, one other other issue before we go to break here, which uh, there's a new Leger poll, uh, and I think you're working on that for tonight's newscast. Uh, tell me what it says in regards to the NDP and the BC United. 
Well, it's a, this is the latest poll in a series of polls that have found similar findings and those by-election results recently that show that the name BC United has not latched on with the public. So it, when it comes to decided votes here, uh, the NDP's at 44%. The, the Angus Reid had them at 47% just a week before. 27% for BC United, and this is alarming for BC United, 16% for the Conservatives and just 11% for the Greens. So 16% for the Conservatives and just 27% for the BC United, that's a split, that's the proverbial split on the center-right part of the spectrum. This is music to the NDP's ears. I ran the numbers from the last election. If this type of a level were to continue through an election campaign in terms of voting numbers, the NDP would win more than 60 seats, and the BC United would be lucky to break 20, and the Conservatives can considerably win a couple themselves. So this is good news for the NDP. You know, incumbent governments continue to fare well with voters, uh, either in polls or when it actually comes to voting, as we saw with the federal liberals in the, in the by-elections. Uh, they actually perform better than the Conservatives did, even though each won two seats. Uh, so the electorate right now is not in a punishing mood to elected governments, and maybe that's a hangover from the pandemic when governments were seen in a different light. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll change, but I think the BC United has a serious marketing problem at its hands, and, and they don't have a lot of time to fix it. The next election is October 19th, 2024, unless Mr. Eby decides to go earlier, and he probably is tempted when he sees numbers like this. I think he's going to wait, but boy, I think the pressure will build on Mr. Eby if this number, if BC United continues to have a problem being recognized by the voters out there, uh, his, his trigger figure might get a little itchy. I'm pulling the plug. And I find this surprising uh, for one reason more than anything is we're sending cancer patients to Bellingham. We've got challenges when it comes to our emergency uh, rooms shutting down in smaller communities. There's still the issue of affordability and housing. There's still issues of mental health and addiction. A broader conversation about decriminalization to the point where municipalities say uh, they want to ban the use of drugs in parks. There's a myriad of issues that this government is dealing with and some would say wearing uh, yet there seems to be very little impact on their favorability yeah. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to you know the group that people would vote for so I had a column out last week uh, for Glacier pointed out the Angus Reid poll uh, again decided the polls three uh, critical issues out there health care housing and affordability the NDP government scores about an 80% disapproval rating on those three issues that are seen as the most important issues to British Columbians, yet when it comes to asking people how they would vote, almost half say they'll vote for the, exist, the sitting government and not for the opposition. And in fact, when it comes to the opposition, they're all over the map. So it's you know, a bit of a head scratcher. I agree. There's a lot of controversies uh, out there, get a lot of media coverage. Um, but the opposition doesn't seem to be making ground here. And I think I wonder if the public now doesn't think governments can fix some of these really entrenched problems. Housing has been a problem for years. It was a problem on the B.C. Liberal Watch. It's a problem on the NDP Watch. And I think a lot of voters may think, you know what, neither of you guys has the key to the solution to this vexing problem. And that may go to other issues such as health care and inflation and affordability. We are speaking to Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. We've been talking about the week that was from the port deal to uh, droughts and, of course, a new political poll out uh, that came out today. Uh, let's talk a little bit about next week, Keith. And, of course, uh, I keep saying the final decision on Surrey policing, but something something tells me that it may not be final. It may be just the latest decision. But we are expecting an announcement from Solicitor General Mike Farnworth on this issue of Surrey policing and whether or not 
uh, Surrey's desire to keep the RCMP, um, uh, whether they'll be able to do so or whether or not uh, the minister will say, no, uh, continue with SPS. Yeah, so we're expecting that the buzz around the legislature is Wednesday um, here in Victoria. Um, and, and the expectation is it's going to go to the SPS way based on a number of things. David Eby, the premier yesterday, um, or the day before at the premier's conference, uh, taught, was asked about the RCMP and his response. And you have to remember, David Eby, we've come to learn, chooses his words very carefully. There's no such thing as a flippant response from him. Mm-hmm. And he deliberately, uh, basically, um, was more negative towards the NDP situation than positive. He said the current situation, when it comes to staffing of the RCMP, is, quote, unsustainable. So you take that and you put that into the, the equation here. So if he thinks it's unsustainable... And keep in mind, he has signed a non-disclosure agreement, and mm-hmm. which means he's read the Surrey internal report that was given to those in government who will sign that. So he has the knowledge of what's in that report. And he doesn't reference that report, but he says the RCMP staffing levels are unsustainable. Uh, having said that, I don't see how you square that with the decision to go back to the RCMP in Surrey. It just doesn't make any sense. And the more conversations I have with Mike Farmers and other senior members of this government, the more convinced I am they are not going back to the RCMP. They are going with SPS. Now, having said that, you're right. What happens next? Is this the final chapter? I don't know how it actually is going to work. I don't know if Brenda Locke is going to you know, file a lawsuit or seek some sort of legal challenge to this. Um, the reaction from her is going to be decidedly negative if it goes that way. I don't have, like, I'm not, I haven't been leaked anything or anything like that. It's just based on what David Eby said mm-hmm. and what others are saying in the government, I'd be very surprised if they decided to go back to the RCMP, given all the problems associated with that force. And again, it's interesting, other premiers spoke up as well in Winnipeg. It was Danielle Smith signaling Alberta's getting away from the RCMP. Heather Stephenson, Stephenson in Manitoba, the premier there also making similar comments the premier of of new brunswick making similar comments so when the premiers are asked this and they all come up with negative views of the rcmp Mm -hmm. uh, i just don't see how the government says well we're going to go back to the rcmp i think they're going with svs Uh, and i don't necessarily disagree with you and when i spoke to brenda Locke um, earlier this week uh, i did ask her about that and, and as you may recall she said to me she won't take no for an answer which would tell you that you know she will probably look for other avenues to challenge it and you know i went further and asked her you know you've done everything you promised you do you you would fight for the rcmp and if that's not the case it was the good fight let's walk away and do your thing and, and continue to manage the city like you're supposed to do and uh seems to me uh, that at this point, um, uh, I, I don't understand why they're fighting it so much. I'm not saying you shouldn't fight. If that's what she believes, that's what she promised. But somewhere along the way, you've got to say, look, there's other things that I need to be doing for this city and other things for her own legacy. I'm just surprised at how yeah. adamant well, she is. I haven't seen much political acumen coming out of that office, quite frankly. She won with a very low percentage of the vote uh, and a very low turnout. So I don't really think she can argue the, the vast majority of people are behind me on this particular issue. I think most people that I talk to in Surrey or when they phone in on NW, they just want this thing done. You know, just yeah. get, make a decision and move on. I think people are more worried about cost of living, about housing, about street crime, pick an issue, health care crowded schools they're not sitting there spending hours and hours arguing between the merits of rcmp and surrey police they just want to move on but brenda Locke seems determined that this is the hill you know in which to make the last stand yeah it's going to be very interesting to watch that's for sure keith thank you have a great weekend